1: We eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Main Street Vegan program. At Vegetarian Summerfest this past week, someone reminded me of a speaker from a year or two back who was adamant that as vegans... We need to do our best at whatever it is we do. Now, we're not going to be perfect, but when the temptation comes to eh, slough off on the job or give into a little online sarcasm or maybe press send on an email that should probably stay just where it is, can we think that we are indeed representatives of something bigger than we are? I'm going to try that. A little more going forward. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Victoria Moran, and this is the Main Street Vegan Program. It is a pure pleasure to have you with us today and also to be introducing my guest. I certainly know of his work, but we're just getting acquainted today for the first time, and he is Dr. Scott Stoll he is co-founder of the plantrition project the international plant-based nutrition healthcare conference the international journal of disease reversal and prevention and the regenerative health institute You've also seen him in documentaries like Eating You Alive, Wait Till It's Free, and you will be seeing him in The Game Changers, maybe September 16th, when it's doing that phantom event screening all over the country. As well as being a published author and a member of the 1994 Olympic bobsled team, Dr. Stoll is a highly sought-after speaker. He and his family live in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the program.
1: Oh, thank you, Victoria. It is such an honor to be with you today. I sincerely appreciate the opportunity to share this afternoon with you and with your audience.
0: Well, we are too, because I know you have lots and lots to say. So we are going to have the whole program together, the whole hour, except for a break in the middle. And and we discussed earlier that we're going to talk about health in this first half, and then we're going to branch out a little. We're going to talk more about some of the social issues and you as a person of faith, how you see health and food choices among people who who are in that community. So let's start now just getting healthy and finding out what inspired you to bring lifestyle medicine into your practice.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. Um, You know, I I started this uh, actually when I was practicing medicine in my first two years after residency. And I thought I understood nutrition because I was a nutritional science major and undergraduate. I was an athlete, had read a lot about nutrition and um, and thought I had a, ha- a good handle on nutrition. Um, and I, just have to tell, I have to tell this part of the story because my wife was uh, so wise before I was. In medical school, in my second year of med school, my wife came to me and said, I really think we need to change our diet. You know, this vegan diet, is, uh, eating plants, is really the healthiest way to eat. But you know, I wasn't as wise as my wife at that point in time, and uh, and I still am learning to to say yes much quicker to her because she has such great wisdom. And uh, I said, "Well, no. Where am I going to get my protein? I'm going to lose all my muscle." You know, having just come out of the Olympics, the the classic question that we all face. So a few years later, it took me quite a few years to get caught up. I'm practicing medicine. And I started to hear my patients tell me the same thing. They started to say, Dr. Stoll, can't you help me? I'm falling apart. And I would laugh and I would write a prescription. I would do a procedure. I would send them for an MRI and I would see the evidence of, of falling apart. I would see it in degenerative knees and hips and back issues and cancer diagnoses and heart surgeries. I saw it all around me. I heard my relatives saying the same thing. And uh, I just assumed that I, you know, this is the, the, part of getting aging, uh, of aging. This is just what happens as we get older, that we have these declines in our system and we acquire disease and we need treatment to manage those diseases. But there was one day in my practice, a woman was sitting on the exam table and she said to me, Dr. Stoll, can't you help me on falling apart? And this is the power of questions. You know, I, I just simply asked her the question, well, what does falling apart mean to you? And like a physician, you know, oftentimes we're anticipating answers because we're moving fast. And I was looking at her past medical history, anticipating which disease was maybe the worst or which medication was causing side effects. But she stopped me cold in my tracks when she said, my marriage is falling apart because my husband is sick and tired of taking care of me and taking me back and forth to the hospital. Our finances are falling apart because we are into the donut hole and we're facing financial bankruptcy. My friends have stopped coming around and I can't attend church. I can't see my grandchildren. I'm depressed and my life is falling apart. And then she looked at me with tears running down her cheeks and she said, Dr. Soul, can you help me? And it was in that moment that I realized I had not been trained to actually help somebody put their life back together again. I'd been well trained in disease management, prescribing of pharmaceuticals, procedures, interpreting MRIs. But now I was faced with the fact that everything on her past medical history list list was eroding the most important things in her life. And she was asking me for help. And I was not equipped to help her. So I walked out of the room that day and I said, Scott, what are you going to do to help the next person that needs help putting their life back together again? And is there an answer? Um, Is there an answer to help someone actually restore health and reverse disease? And that sent me on a personal exploration journey of... Reading all the diet books and realizing that none of those are the answer because none of them really actually help reverse disease. And when you look at most diet studies um, and large meta analyses, that only 15 percent of people are able to maintain a 20 pound weight loss at five years. So dieting was a failed strategy, Um, and nobody was talking about disease reversal. And so I went back to some nutrition roots and started reading. Uh, scientific articles and I saw the green thread that the more vegetables and plants people eat, the healthier their bodies become. And then shortly thereafter, I found Dr. Campbell's book that had just come out um, and that solidified it for me that eating plants is really the most healthy way to prevent and reverse disease. So we took that information, we changed as a family. I have six children and saw amazing transformations in our own family. And then I started using my prescription pad to write prescriptions for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and smoothies.
0: I love it. And I love that you put the smoothies in there because not everybody <laughs> in our movement loves smoothies. To I know me, that. they're just this incredible receptacle for so much great stuff. I just think that <clears throat> I don't know what we would do if nobody had ever invented the blender So talk about your idea of an ideal diet for certainly most people. And is there ever some tweaking required there? Is there really this biochemical individuality that we sometimes hear about?
1: Uh, That is a great question. I appreciate that. I don't get that one very often. Thank you. Um, You know, I... Like, through the years, and I've practiced this way for more than 17 years, and I think when you're in practice as a physician using plant-based nutrition on a daily basis, uh, you see a lot of amazing successes, and you see some people that are challenged, and where there is some necessary tweaking that has to go on. You also encounter challenges with people that have sensitivities to food, where their microbiome um, has been devastated for so many years, they can't tolerate beans. So I have found that there is a lot of individuality in the practice and application of a whole food plant-based diet. And, um, you know, in in the general terms, the greater umbrella, like a whole food plant-based diet is the optimal diet for so many reasons. uh, And there's so much literature that we can use to back that up. Um, And, you know, I think for several reasons, as I've tried to to justify this scientifically, um, not, you know, ethically or spiritually, but scientifically, why is it that we really see that in order to reverse some of these diseases, it takes 100% whole food plant-based diet? Why do you have to fight with every bite? Um, and I, I've come to some conclusions, and these are some of these are my own opinions after practicing for so long, and some are based on, on some research that's evolving. Um, one, I believe that when we, our body has this amazing capacity for health. And we have redundancy in systems. And our body really, or the natural state of our body is health. And so it will do everything to keep going. And it will utilize its, um, its reserves as long as possible to keep us moving forward and achieving what we're trying to achieve. But eventually, we acquire enough injury. We de- deplete enough of these reserves that disease manifests itself. And we reach really what's a tipping point Um, in our lives when disease manifests, when we have overwhelmed our body's capacity and ability to maintain health and regulate uh, normalcy of our systems. And so I always imagine that this is like a credit card debt that we have accumulated over time and it's reached a crisis point. And so in order for people to uh, pay back a credit card debt, you can't pay the monthly uh, minimum or you can't even pay like a little larger amount because you're so far behind on the interest rates and it takes a long time to pay that amount back. And so I really have come to see this is a a metaphor that has helped me understand how to teach people that, you know, it takes um, high nutritional quality foods to fight with every bite, to reduce the inflammatory process, to heal the microbiome, and to begin regenerating systems in order to reverse disease. Um, And I think that we can even see this in some new research that's come out where they studied um, high-quality and low-quality plant-based foods. And they looked at um, nutrient-rich plants that are the darker blues, greens, Versus the lighter colored plants and they studied the effect on the inflammatory levels and found that it's the dark colored plants that actually reduced inflammation and the lighter colored plants did not have a great effect on inflammation. And so it just reiterates to me that that, that tweaking of the diet to focus on really dark nutrient rich vegetables, has the the most profound effect at reversing disease. And then, as you mentioned as well, just tie this up real quick, the biochemical differences in us are evident, um, and we also have microbiome differences. And so some of those do play into uh, the tweaking that's necessary when we're looking at disease reversal.
0: Okay. Well, I am going to share this segment for sure with my husband, who's a longtime vegan, very dedicated. He's just never quite warmed up to the dark greens. I remember trying to sneak a green smoothie into him once, and I put it in one of those thermos things that people use for coffee. It's got (laughs) just a little bitty hole, so nobody will sue McDonald's. And I took that into him, and he just looked into that little hole and said, I know this is green,
1: but for (laughs) you,
0: I'll drink it. So we do... (laughs) (laughs) what we have to do so in terms of foods that started out in the plant kingdom but that maybe we really shouldn't be eating are there four or five of those you'd like to list
1: um in the plant kingdom yeah um, you know i I think that uh what i really like to promote for people is um and I, i have like tried to through so many years of working with behavioral change i have tried to work with people to understand that nothing's ever off limits, but we can always make a better choice. And I think, you know, psychologically, when they study behavior, they find that when they tell people they can't have something, it sets up this whole craving for the very thing that they've been told they can't have. So I always try to promote that, um, you know, you did what you knew how to do, but now that you know better, you can do better. So I'm going to teach you how to make a better choice. So in the spectrum of foods that I typically recommend, Um, I recommend, obviously, the dark leafy green vegetables getting in, uh, you know, as many servings as you can in a day and as many different ways, whether it's steamed, blended, pureed, thrown in soups, stews, layered in as many places as you can. Um, I also like the beans, you know, when they looked and they studied the longest lived populations, they found that the one commonality of the longest lived population groups around the world was they ate a cup of beans every day. Uh, And beans have tremendous benefits, and the large meta-analysis studies have shown that beans have a significant impact on reducing our mortality and increasing our lifespan. So black beans, kidney beans, try to get at least a half a cup to a cup of beans in some form or manner in your um, daily food. Um, Garlic, onions, and herbs and spices, very, very important. And uh, in fact, spices have more antioxidants and phytochemicals than even some of our food does. So I really encourage people to use those spices, cinnamon, turmeric, cloves, um, ginger, uh, garlic, onions, wherever you can, because it enhances the quality of our diet. Uh, The dark berries are wonderful, elderberries and blueberries and blackberries and raspberries. And trying to get those foods from um, places that have grown them with organic soil because they have higher nutrient content. Uh, and then other you know foods that can have benefit that some people don't always like are mushrooms. Um, they're very beneficial. And so those are the foods I try to ask people to layer into their their diet on a regular daily basis. Whole grains are very important and and getting whole grains in the in the most natural form, very beneficial in grains like um, quinoa and millet. Um, and if you can find good brown rice, especially with uh, without the, the um, arsenic, then that's wonderful as well. And then other vegetables are also good. You know, the fruity vegetables, the peppers and the cucumbers and the zucchini can add and enhance the flavor. Cruciferous vegetables are really valuable. They turn on the stem cells in our body. They help fight cancer cells and prostate cancer. So broccoli, cauliflower, we always steam some of those up in our home as well. Um, and then, you know, I also recommend, uh, if you're going to go with potatoes, try to go with colored potatoes, purple or best the, there's been some wonderful research out of Hershey medical center in combination with the Rodale Institute, where they found that purple potatoes grown in healthy soil produce lots of ergothionine, which is a phytochemical that has potent anti-cancer effects. But, um, purple potatoes not grown in healthy soil don't produce that ergothionine. So, you know, in the starchy vegetables, more color is better but we we still eat some of those uh, starchy vegetables around our house and they're a great snack for our children. And then just, the, the, oh, I'll just finish with ahead. this one little piece. This is the part where we just have to be careful with calorie density. Um, avocados are great and we love avocados, but they're very calorie dense. So quarter of a slice for most people, at most a half a slice, um, just to manage calories. Dried fruits, we need to be a little bit careful because of calorie density. And uh, in some cases, the glycemic index on those. Um, a small amount of nuts and seeds can be beneficial as long as they're unroasted, unsalted. There's lots of um, large meta analyses that show some benefit when eating a very small handful three to four times a week. So it's not a nut bowl. It's not, you know, uh, trail mixes. It's usually used in dressings or sprinkled on soups or salads. Um, and those are the kind of calorie dense foods we just have to be careful with. hmm
0: Well, it sounds to me like you have just described the most exquisite buffet. I'm certainly coming to dinner. I don't know how that would sound to somebody who is used to some version of a more standard American diet. It sure sounds yummy to me. So whenever you are working with your patients, what do you find is is the sticking point? What happens when they're like, oh, this sounds great. I want to, I want to, but... What comes after the butt?
1: Yeah, you know, um, the biggest thing I have found is that it's an emotional relationship with food. Um, you know, we can overcome financial barriers, and I can share amazing stories about patients that have overcome uh, amazing financial challenges to eat a whole food, plant based diet. But I really believe it's it's this emotional relationship that that people have to food. Um, you know, for example, we have we do health immersions. We've done them for many years, more than a decade, uh, working with Whole Foods and a number of other uh, individuals and corporations that will send 100 people to visit us for a week in Florida, and we teach them about food, we teach them about exercise, taking care of their bodies, and we feed them the same buffet that I just described three times a day, and um, we see the power of food, this emotional relationship with food uh, during that week. We had a woman one time that brought a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts in her suitcase because she felt like she couldn't get through the week without eating Krispy Kreme donuts. And um, it's that emotional tie, the uh, emotional eating, the food addiction is the greatest barrier, I think, for, to people making a lifestyle change.
0: Do you believe that food addiction is all emotional or that there's a physical component as well?
1: Oh, it's both. Absolutely. Um, Yale did a very large study, and they've actually created a Yale food addiction um, uh, measurement tool. And uh, they, they, along with others, have, have verified that between 14 and 19% of the population struggles with food addiction. And it's not just people that are overweight. It's also thin people. And it's very real, it works on that dopamine reward system. We know that sugar, fat, and salt also work on the benzodiazepine receptors, that's Valium. And they also work on the receptors, the opioid receptors, Vicodin and Percocet, or pain medications. And so, um, you know, it's a very real physical addiction. It's probably more like smoking when they study it, uh, rather than a drug addiction. Um, But it has all the same qualifications, you know, withdrawal, tolerance, uh, dependency um, and so we see that in our immersions that people come and in the first three days they go through very significant food withdrawal uh, and detoxification including headaches extreme fatigue they're not able to stay awake even during my lectures which I can't believe <laughs> I don't think it personally um, they have nausea vomiting sometimes diarrhea rashes real struggles for three, three days, and then they're free and they say, I have not felt this good since I was 18. So it's a very real physical syndrome as well as an emotional one.
0: Wow. And three days is such a short amount of time to be over something uh, that really, really grabs a person. I, I know this. My my early life was in the throes of food addiction, so to be on the other side of that this is a nice place to be.
1: Freedom is beautiful.
0: <laughs> it yes. is indeed. So tell us about the Plantrition Project. I think everybody's heard about that, but I don't know that we all know exactly what it
1: is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this is a, a wonderful not-for-profit um, that myself and uh, two partners, Tom Dunham and Susan Benegas, started in two thousand and thirteen. Um, And it started uh, with our first conference. I had mentioned to my friend Tom that we really needed to start a conference to educate physicians because it took me so long to learn this myself. And I really wanted to give healthcare providers an opportunity to have a shortcut of education so they could start practicing and help their patients to help more people. So we had our first conference in 2013 in Naples and we had 180 people, which was a wonderful start. And then we wrapped around that uh, conference, this not-for-profit called the Plantrition Project, whose vision and goal is to um, educate, equip, empower, and inspire healthcare providers and health influencers around the world. And so our conference has grown. Uh, we have about 1,000 healthcare providers from 20 different countries that will attend our conference um, in the fall. We just started a second conference in um, New York City, which will be our East Coast Conference on an annual basis associated with the Plant-Based World um, Expo. And then uh, we're doing another conference. I'm working with uh, Prince Haled over in uh, Saudi Arabia to do a Middle Eastern Conference in December. And then along with that, you know, we're creating resources. Uh, we've created the um, International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention, IJDRP.org, which is a free scientific journal that documents the science of plant-based nutrition and disease reversal. And so we're one of the only journals in the world out of 8,000 that are really paying attention to the idea of reversing disease with nutrition. Um, so it's free we wanted to have no barriers to access that information and so we've made it open source and free and people can sign up today ijdrp.org we created a a compendium like a sister periodical to that called the disease reversal digest which is really focused on uh, reversing disease and regenerating life and we envision that this is a, a periodical for the general public that will take a lot of the science that was just published in the journal and write it in terms that we all can understand and appreciate, including me and physicians. We, we really like those um, those simpler articles. And so we'll have uh, simplified um, articles about the most recent science, along with lots of other information, including regenerating um, agriculture, uh, the environment, um, some animal welfare. We're also going to talk about, you know, how to cook meals, how to have a healthier family. So it's going to be a really wonderful Digital periodical that will come out eventually uh, four times per year, and that's Disease Reversal Digest. Um, And then we've created lots of other resources. Uh, We have quick start guides. We have a hospital uh, transformation guide uh, based upon some work I've done consulting with hospitals to transition over to lifestyle medicine programs um, and a number of other initiatives. And then we have the Regenerative Health Institute, which is a collaborative project that we're doing with the Rodale Institute to. show the linkages between healthy soil, healthy plants, healthy people, healthy world. And we eventually are going to build a 30,000 square foot health education center on the farm at Rodale Institute that will be a le- living breathing education center to help people see the connectedness of our food choices.
0: Wow. So Rodale has never been known for being pro plant-based. How do you negotiate with people who see things somewhat differently?
1: Yeah. And this is what uh, it's been. It's been really good. You know, um, I stepped out in faith uh, in this relationship because the door opened up and they know we're plant based. And I spoke to their board of directors about uh, my vision and they agreed to donate some land, uh, set aside some land on their uh, farm for this project. And I've actively promoted plant based diet and it's become a part of the vernacular at Rodale. In fact, we're doing a quarterly Facebook live now from the farm talking about plant based nutrition and uh, the growing of food. And so, even though there may be like on the side, there are some still a few sticky places, uh, by and large part, you know, we've been able to um, have a very positive influence into that area. And one of the things I've learned that in order for us to have a greater influence around the world, we can't always just work with people that are 100% like-minded. We want to infiltrate and get into some of those other places where they not may not be fully um, uh, understanding of where we come from, but willing to take some steps together, and in that way, create some some lasting change. And um, I've developed some wonderful relationships with people at Rodale. We've seen amazing changes in some of the people that work there who have transitioned to plant-based diets, uh, you know, reversing MS symptoms and amazing things have happened. And then the environmental component as the uh, environment um, uh, environmental movement recognizes that a whole food plant-based diet is the best way to um, manage our environmental resources. Yeah. That's also helping to drive the The plant based message at Rodale.
0: The best. Okay, we have to go to break now, and we will be back with uh, more with Dr. Scott Stoll and the Main Street Vegan Program. Stay with us. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to UnityOnlineRadio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Dr. Wayne Dyer, taken from a live lecture at a Celebrate Your Life event in 2014.
1: Just pay attention. Just start to recognize the miraculousness of every moment and everything that shows up in your life. And even the fact that, that you can take a breath and that who you are is here now at this time in an infinity that has no beginning and no end, that you showed up. Pay attention. Notice the trees. Notice the clouds. And as Maslow said, see the unfolding of God in everyone that you encounter. Pay attention. Know that this world that you're in, this physical body that you're in is not who you are at all. Pay attention.
0: To find out about a Celebrate Your Life event in 2019, visit CelebrateYourLife.com. Hello, this is Andrew Harvey, and I'd like to invite you to join me next February on a pilgrimage to the artistic, historical, and spiritual soul of North India, or journey to the Sacred Heart of Sri Lanka with us next March, and explore the healing depths of Buddhist traditions, meditation, and art. Both are trips for mind, body, and spirit. Learn more at sacredearthjourneys.ca Would you like to show your support for Unity Online Radio? You can donate easily on your phone by texting the word VOICE to 50555 and donate $10 to support Unity Online Radio. It's easy to do, and your offering will help us keep inspirational and positive programming on the air. Remember, just text the word VOICE to 50555 and support your favorite shows on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Would you like to experience more peace and joy in your life through A Course in Miracles? Let Reverend Jennifer Hadley support you in discovering the powerful
1: life lessons available through this unique spiritual thought system that teaches the way to love and peace is through forgiveness. Join Jennifer every Tuesday at 10 a.m.
0: Central for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, to experience the healing for yourself on Unity Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555.
1: Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran.
0: Welcome back, everybody. And I always like to tell people who are new where you can find out more about what goes on at Main Street Vegan overall. So our website is MainStreetVegan.net. And we have a brand new, fresh blog post every Tuesday This week's is written by Glenn, um, I'm sorry, Greg Lawson, uh, who is a newly retired U.S. Park Services ranger, and his title is Catching Flies, which is kind of a take on a kind of non-vegan phrase, (laughs) but maybe your grandmother, like mine, talked about you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Of course, as vegans, we're not going to do it either way, but... The idea is how do we best get these ideas out there into the world? And uh, uh, Mr. Greg Lawson has lots of great ideas on that. So do stop by mainstreetvegan.net and also check out Main Street Vegan Academy, where if you are vegan and you want to take that to the next level, the professional level, you can come to New York City for a magical six days with an incredible faculty of medical doctors, dietitians, chefs, fashion designers, we really cover (laughs) the best and the brightest and we've got a brand new page about the academy with a video so if you just go to mainstreetvegan.net slash academy you can be one of the first to see that i would so love to have you as part of our wonderful main street vegan academy family here in new york city I also want to tell you how to reach out and find Dr. Scott Stoll, our wonderful guest today. The website is plantricianproject.org or The Plantition Project on Facebook. And Dr. Stoll is also on Twitter, S K Stoll, S T O L L, Dr. Scott Stoll on YouTube. And all of this will, of course, be on the show notes at Mainstreetvegan.net. So, Dr. Stoll, you were talking about some of the ways that you're getting lifestyle medicine, you and your colleagues, into the conversation among all, all of your many physician colleagues. But there seem to be some, I don't know, little detours on the road sometimes, and there are lots of different ways of looking at things, and even in healthcare that is maybe swaying a little bit from business, and you, as usual, it sometimes sways in the lifestyle medicine direction, and sometimes sways in a different direction. So how do you work with everybody, and what's happening in the medical field? <sighs>
1: Yeah, that is a that's a wonderful question. We could talk a long time, but I'll just try to summarize. Um, and it's really important. Um, and I think uh, what's most important is to realize that most physicians and healthcare providers went into medicine because they really cared about people and wanted to do what's right. But our health care uh, education. Um, ha, is not geared toward teaching about lifestyle, about disease reversal, and even really about prevention. It's geared toward de- disease management through pharmaceutical uh, drugs, through surgical interventions and procedures. And so um, they just don't know. And Maya Angelou said, I love this quote, she said, uh, I did then what I knew how to do, but now that I know better, I do better. And I have found with so many of my colleagues all around the world, that when they do know better, they really want to do better. And so the heart and intent, I think, of most healthcare providers is, is to really do better. So some of the barriers that they run into uh, and they recognize that there's a lifestyle uh, transition that they would like to add to their practice. Number one is reimbursement, that our healthcare system is not set up today to reimburse lifestyle medicine care, which takes more time. It's more related to behavior modification and uh, is more labor intensive around, you know, helping people understand how to shop and prepare and cook food and add uh, exercise and stress management into their life. Uh, But those things are not reimbursed in medicine today. Medicine reimburses volume and procedures. Uh, It's called volume based care. Um, The good news is is that volume-based care is on its way out, and there's a new transition, hopefully in the next 5 to 10 years, of value-based care. But the system runs on volume today, and uh, the the challenge is is instituting lifestyle medicine services within a volume-based care system that anticipates making profit on volume. And uh, so we have to find other ways for lifestyle medicine services to be reimbursed, and there are a number of them that have, you know, come to light in the last five years. And I'm very hopeful that there's some legislation and some changes coming that will make that um, even more um, acceptable within healthcare and more profitable for healthcare systems and physicians to make that lifestyle transition. Education is also a big part, and. Um, Dr. Michael Clapper and others, um, Plant Pure Nation, PCRM, um, ACLM, Plantrition Project, are trying to work with residents and um, medical school students to create opportunities for them to learn this information at the beginning of their career, which is really important. Um, Their medical schools have not been very receptive to this information. Uh, You know, we need some more science to validate what we're saying in some cases, Um, But I think that the systems are running on an old paradigm. And so we're trying to chip away at education um, at that level, at the medical school and residency level. Um, On the positive note, there are a number of residencies and some medical schools that are instituting lifestyle medicine and plant-based nutrition. I'm working with a group here in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, St. Luke's um, Healthcare System, to start a lifestyle medicine clinic. And we have two residencies, family medicine and uh, internal medicine, that will be double-boarded in lifestyle medicine and um, either family medicine or internal medicine at the conclusion of their career. So are really excited about that. Um, so there's, you know, it's been a challenge, but there's also you know, some glimmers of hope that things are really changing. And uh, the young people coming up in medicine today are very excited about utilizing plant-based nutrition and lifestyle medicine. And that's what gives me the greatest hope.
0: Oh, that is very hopeful. You know, it is so funny. I wanted to say the exact correct title of your book. So I just pulled it up on Amazon. And just as we're talking about different ways to do this and trying to come together, I see that there's an ad for a book about the paleo diet on the same page (laughs) as your book. So we're not quite uh, out of the woods yet, but it is is so hopeful. The things that are happening now are, are very, very exciting. And that book, by the way, Alive, A Physician's Biblical and Scientific Guide to Nutrition, so let's move a little bit into this other aspect that we were going to talk about. So the medical system is opening up to some degree, still closed to some degree. How about religions? How about churches? How open are they to plant-based eating?
1: Um, you know, I have uh, I started that book, and I wrote that book actually a number of years ago because I had read some research from a researcher out of um, uh, Indiana that said, uh, Ken Ferraro, and he said that um, the, the Christianity, the especially you know um, Catholic, Pentecostal, Baptist, um, Christianity, is the most unhealthy um, segment of the religious populations today. And in some cases, they are more unhealthy than even our culture. And I recognize that, you know, uh, religious groups, uh, because of the power of community and the impact that they have on their community, have a potential to really transform their communities for with a, a healthy message. And so, I wrote that book to try and influence uh, churches to at least begin teaching their members how to be well and healthy. And as I interviewed pastors and visited a number of churches around the country, um, I saw that that disease is eroding the resources of churches that should be utilized to make a difference in the world. You know, they spend an inordinate amount of time on on people that are sick. And as we should, we want to care for people. But if we could reverse those diseases or prevent them from occurring, and we had that resource of time and money that we could reallocate to ministering to the needs of the inner city or doing other things to um, have educational programs within the church— the churches could become real salt and light in their communities. And so um, as I went out and started speaking in churches, I was, I met with a very cold reception. So this was about 2013, 14. And um, I really had sensed that I needed to put that on the shelf for a little while because the time was not right. Um, I'm hopeful that with the the change, I think that we've all seen in the last couple of years and the momentum that we're gaining, that the churches will awaken and they'll, they'll take on this message of health because I really believe that if churches around our country would begin taking care of themselves and then using lawn space to to create gardens, to create indoor growing spaces and, and change their communities by promoting health and then providing access to healthy food, we could transform large parts of the country in a very short period of time. And so I'm very hopeful, um, but it was not (laughs) received very well in the beginning.
0: Well, that's very interesting what you say about Christians. And the first thing that came to my mind was, could it be that we have this idea of the body and soul dichotomy and that the body is only temporary and it doesn't really matter? Let's just take care of the soul and have another bowl of ice cream.
1: Yes, that, that's exactly right. That's this um, the Greek concept of dualism that has kind of persisted and permeated our culture, especially in Christian churches, where we've come to believe that the only thing that is really of value is the, the spirit and soul. And we've heard this many times, people say, I don't care what happens to my body, I'm going to get a new one anyway. Um, but what they don't realize is that Everything is fully integrated, and there's no way that you can, um, you know, extract that that, lit, that line between soul, spirit, and body. It's a fully integrated spirit-soul being, and the spirit needs the soul and the body to interface with the world. So if the body goes down and is sick, we know from all the research that a sick body impacts the soul, the mind, will, and emotions. And even the food we eat has an impact on our mind and our emotions. And we we know that from functional MRI studies that show the brain is inflamed within two hours after eating westernized food. And we know that when we eat the most unhealthy foods, it changes our microbiome and it down regulates the production of valuable neurotransmitters in our brain like serotonin and GABA. So the choices that we make, um, you know, impact our, our soul and our body and our emotions and our mind. And then our spirit is left with you know, dealing with a, uh, a fractured soul and body and still trying to interface with the world and accomplish those um, invaluable uh, gifts that have been placed in each person, that um, that unique calling they have in life. And so I think, as you're exactly pointing out, Victoria, this dualism that has been a part of our culture and has, has um, you know, has seeped into Christianity today is very dangerous, and uh, is a it's a false belief and a lie that needs to be replaced with truth.
0: Oh my goodness, that is so beautiful! I hope that you will allow me to interview you for the book I'm working on. The working title is "Food, Faith, and Alchemy," and I
1: think uh, you I just would be described very it.
0: Wow! <laughs> now I spoke with another gentleman at Summerfest this past weekend, who is part of a Christian community in, in the Midwest. And he says that what his fellow congregants tell him is that they've given up everything else. They're not smoking, they're not drinking, all these other things. Come on, give me my barbecue. So what would you say to that?
1: (laughs) I I would say a few things that, um, you know, uh, when we live soulishly, we're living sensually. When we're living sensually, we're not walking by the Spirit. And, um, you know, we're called to walk by the power of our spirit, not by the power of a sensual soul. And so it's really, you know, those things actually they wage war against us. And it, what I have seen um, in myself and others that when we are giving in to these these cravings and food addictions and these these hyper palatable ultra processed foods, it creates weakness in our lives and other places. And our self-discipline begins to wane in other parts of our life that are important spiritually and important physically. Um, And so I think there's an open door there that that causes a lot of problems. Um, I would also say to them that they, they don't understand the impact of their choices, that every choice has a consequence. And when we're making choices to eat those foods, and maybe we're eating them gluttonously, that it's it's impacting not only our soul but it's impacting our physical body and the consequences can be catastrophic for some people um including early death and as we have seen it, you know those situations can be very painful not just for the person but for the people around that person and even a community and it it points to that that um that that other false uh, belief that has crept into our church that it's all about me you know it's it's just about my life and i don't care if i die early or if i get sick but in reality everybody cares if you die early or get sick the, your loved ones the people that are around you the people you're working with it, it matters to all of them and so we can't have a selfish opinion of our food choices because it has a profound effect on so many things and then as Christians, we know that we have a stewardship responsibility over our bodies because our bodies are not our own. Uh, we are the temple of the Most High, and so we have a responsibility for what we've been given, and we need to steward it with the, the greatest care and the greatest uh, eye on making the biggest impact with the life we've been given.
0: Oh, I want to hear a sermon on that. So how would you, Dr. Stoll, advise our listeners who are part of some sort of of religious or spiritual community, how can they bring some of these concepts in without hurting people, without being terribly rebuffed? And I guess most importantly, how can they do it effectively?
1: Boy, that's a great question. Um, I'll give you what I know. And it's, you know, the most important thing I have found um, in leading change is to lead with love always lead with love. We never lead with judgment. We never lead with condemnation. We always lead with love. And sometimes we lead more by what we do than what we say. And so the most important things that we can do are um, have a life that is is loving in every way and have a life that is exemplary in the way that we are living our lives. Um, And that alone will inspire people to ask us questions. I think we run into problems when we begin judging people or condemning things or criticizing or becoming skeptical. Um, you know, we start to run into those challenges when, when we institute these things. But, you know, simply, um, you know, starting to bring healthy foods for people to try and things that might be really delicious. You know, I, I've always learned that you start with dessert if you want to begin influencing people, you know, bring an avocado or a sweet potato chocolate pudding. And don't tell them what's in there, a chocolate pudding pie, and let them eat it. And then you can tell them and, you know, you start winning them over by feeding them food that they are surprised that it's so delicious. And then the other thing that I have also learned is to tell your own story. Um, Because when we tell our own personal story and we tell about our own transformation, our own disease reversal, the things that we have learned um, in a non-judgmental way, it opens people up. And they will not um, condemn us because we're trying to dump a load of science on them that they're not ready for. And then the last thing I've learned is that we give people, I'm not a big salt advocate, but I use the metaphor just as you did with the flies. We give people just enough salt to make them thirsty. So you give them a little bit to make them thirsty so they come back and ask for more. And I think the tendency for all of us is that we're so passionate about this subject. We have so much knowledge that we want to convince every people, everybody that this is the right thing to do. And we give them too much and we push them away. So, you know, just giving them little bits of powerful information, powerful testimonials, um, things that may cause them to think that think differently about their food choices will open them up to more and more um. Uh, information that can begin influencing them. And the last thing we can do is begin uh, demonstrating these things in our own life. Um, You know, we can start if, uh, if the church will give a little area of the lawn or the backyard or the garden where you can begin growing food and giving it to church members that have a need or the inner city and begin teaching around the growing of food, about food and what God wove into that food that he created. It can begin opening up the church by that living example of um, of the garden that you started growing.
0: That's beautiful. Now, what about stewardship? That's certainly a word that people hear in church sometimes, and it kind of relates to food choices. What can we do with that?
1: Yeah, that's... um it's very true. You know, I, I think what's happened to so many people today is we've been influenced by this consumer mindset in Western society. And the consumer mindset is about me and mine. It's about um, living for the now. It's about personal pleasure. Uh, it's competition. It's, um, it's about, you know, living to get as much as I possibly can It's living for, um, you know, Pleasing in the moment and we've all been influenced by our consumer culture in many ways, and it's really influenced our food decisions And so we're working against that mindset um, And the the antithesis of that is a stewardship mindset, which basically says that we are stewarding someone else's um, Possession uh, that's really what a steward is They're They're managing something for the owner And so uh, we all know as we pass through this life that in the end, we really don't own anything except our own choices. That's the only thing that we truly own out of this life. Everything else is being managed. You know, the house that I have, um, even my family, I'm stewarding. I don't own them. I don't own my house or the land. I pay, you know, a mortgage on it, but eventually it's going to be somebody else's. Um, And even my own body, I will move on out of this body. And so the stewardship uh, mentality is that we are managing something for the owner. And the owner is the Elohim, the creator of all things. And so um, we're looking as managers to do our best to give the greatest return uh, to, the ma- to the owner as a manager. So that is that leads us into ideas of collaboration over competition, cooperation. It leads us into thinking about the future and wisdom and discernment. Uh, over making decisions in the now, it leads us to, um, you know, making uh, decisions where we might say no to something because we know that it has a negative consequence. Um, We are not making decisions based upon immediate pleasure, but a a long-term pleasure. And so stewardship is, uh, it takes some time, I think, to root out all those places where consumerism has slipped in, but it's tremendous freedom when we begin to live as stewards. Um, because we recognize that we are basically gardeners of everything and we're trying to grow the most beautiful garden and get the most bountiful harvest that we get the pleasure of enjoying and our manager, our, uh, our owner, is also well pleased in our work.
0: I'm so glad I asked that question. Thank you. That that was really, really beautiful. So before the show, I said now, just in case there's something you're really passionate about (laughs) that we didn't talk about earlier, I want to give you our last few minutes to talk about what you're doing now that you're oh so excited about.
1: Yeah, and I think I'll share, I have like so many things, but I'm going to share this one um, that uh, we're doing as a family, and I'm really excited about it. You know, we started uh, last year, we have some friends that started a, um, a ministry where they take in food that was gonna go to garbage dumps or be thrown away. And it's supermarkets that order too much or things that are getting too close to date, or even a truck full of beautiful strawberries, the temperature went down one degree in transit and they can't take them to the store. So our friends started this warehouse and they take all of this food and many of it, much of it is beautiful organic produce. Um, And then we um, are able to purchase it at very low cost. Uh, And so what we've done as a family, we started out with one little table in the inner city. We did it, uh, we went down, picked up 600 pounds of of organic produce and we took it into the inner city. We opened up a little table on the street and we started giving it away and blessing people and praying for people and just trying to consistently show up in the same place and be a light and help people to see beyond their circumstances and then um you know whenever you start something new and you're doing something right and you're you're stepping out in faith then other resources are brought around you and there was a little church down the street uh, rivers of life that loved what we're doing and they started working with us and we've had this amazing opportunity to impact the inner city and uh, last week we gave away 19600 pounds of beautiful organic produce blackberries and raspberries and strawberries and kale to the inner city and you know, it's it's an amazing opportunity to not only give food away, to teach about health, but also to begin um, discipling and uh, and shepherding some of these people to help them move out of their current circumstances and their current mindsets to see beyond where they are. And uh, so we are really excited about that. And our vision as a family is to multiply that to other cities and even to third world countries. We, my wife was in Mozambique this year, and we'd like to go back there and begin working with them to um, help set them free by learning how to grow their own food and to learn the the power of these foods to transform their lives where they come from so that their eyes are lifted up in gratitude and worship for the ultimate creator that gave us this food for our health.
0: Wow, that's thrilling. (laughs) It it is such a wonderful thing to see that coming into this way of life opens so many doors. And I think so many people who haven't really looked at it feel, well, it's going to close doors. It's going to close doors to some of these foods that I really enjoy. Or if people get into the ethical part of it, it's going to close me off from my favorite shoe designer or whatever, whatever when, in fact, it opens us up to so many possibilities and opportunities. So in our last 30 seconds, tell us what's important. <laughs>
1: um, I just want to tell you, thank you so much, Victoria. I appreciate all of your work. I appreciate your audience. I appreciate your diligence to um, to make a difference on a regular basis. And I just want to appreciate you and your audience And just tell you how grateful I am for this time and the honor it has been to be a part of this. So thank you.
0: Thank you. you. Thank you so very much. And thanks to Unity Online Radio and to you, our listeners. New outro given to us by listener Gail DuRivage. Be blessed. Be kind. Be healthy. Be vegan. See you next time. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio,
1: the voice of an awakening world.
0: We talk to the animals, and we know you can too, on the Animal Communication Podcast hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Karen Dandy-Smith, and Meredith Tolleson.